0: back to bird's eye view when it comes to the orioles this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinions today is october 10th 2022 and this is episode 353 my name is jake english and i'm scott magnus and on this week's show we'll wrap up things for the 2022 season
1: We'll also argue about who won fantasy boss this year
0: and we'll do all that right after we lubricate the show that's right it's time for the drink of the week scotty what's on your lips this evening Jake, it's October, which means it's pumpkin time.
1: So we've got a dogfish head pumpkin ale um, in your house at this given moment. Ugh. Yeah, Ugh.
0: I'll tell you. I started off the evening with a citrus smash. Okay, grapefruit.
1: Okay, it's no, it's no longer summertime.
0: Tonic water. Okay, orange vodka.
1: All right, still, still not summertime. This is a summer drink.
0: No, this is an everyday drink. Okay. Moving on, I've been drinking this week a Denizens Brewing Company Animal Hazy IPA.
1: I like that can on there too. It looks like a little bit of uh where the wild things are. It
0: does, it does have that look. It's it's pretty it's okay. It's okay. pretty good. I, I, I would uh
1: So you're saying the art is better than potentially the beer?
0: I would recommend it if if you're looking for just like an everyday beer.
1: Do you know where this brewery is by chance? I don't. Okay. So uh you're just picking out random art in the beer section and just saying, Hey, I'm gonna buy this. Absolutely. All right. Well, it looks like a cool beer. Um you said it's IPA, so heavy citrus notes?
0: Yeah, it's it's a juicy, hazy IPA.
1: Okay, so it's it's juicy, it's cloudy, it's it's all those good things. But um yeah, nice little six point zero percent uh hazy IPA.
0: What is a denizen? What? It says on the can. What is a denizen? Come visit us at our tap room in Riverdale Park and Silver Spring, Maryland to find out. So I would call this localish. Let's say we're in Red Sox territory. Oh yeah. <laughs> If <laughs> you'd like to see what we are drinking on a daily, weekly, or by minute during the baseball season, come find us on Untapped. I'm at Jake E four zero two five. I'm at M A G N eight six zero six. And with that, let's go ahead and check out the met <laughs> No. <laughs> no. I do not care who's hurt and who's not. Uh we got plenty of time.
1: We got plenty of time. Just pray for John Means to have a miraculous recovery this offseason. Absolutely.
0: And with that, we are going to go to this week on the Twitters and look at things 280 characters at a time. And I'd like to start with a tweet that comes to us from Kevin Brown. Kevin Brown, the Orioles announcer, who tweets as follows, Orioles fans, thank you for hopping on this extraordinary ride with us at Mass in this season. Your joy, passion, enthusiasm, and kindness helped make it the most unforgettable season of my broadcasting life. Can't wait for what's next. And as a thank you... Here's Shep in a floppy hat with a picture of his dog in an Orioles floppy hat. Tip of the cap to Kevin Brown, who has quickly become uh, such a great addition to the, to the baseball experience, to the Orioles baseball experience. I really like Kevin Brown, his, his personality, the way he calls a game, what he brings to not only baseball when we're losing, but it was really great to see what he brings to baseball when we're winning. Yeah. I hope that Kevin Brown is around for a long time.
1: All right, so I've got a question for you as a Kevin fan, Brown fanboy. Okay. Do you prefer to see Kevin paired with Palmer or Ben McDonald? Yes. I, I I realize they're great when it's a three-way in that booth, and they're eating chicken sandwiches.
0: It's not that I'm not a fan of of uh, Ben McDonald. That mm-hmm. is not the case. Yeah. Uh, but I consider myself very lucky to be able to to have Jim Palmer in the booth. Mm-hmm. I think that his wealth of baseball knowledge is incredible. I think that the relationship between Kevin and Jim has developed to the point where, and and Kevin has said this that Palmer is very generous uh-huh. with Kevin Brown, and you know treats him as a broadcasting partner, and that has really flourished and developed in a in an interesting way yep. to me. And Ke- Kevin's talked about this in in various um, interviews. There was actually one on the Masson podcast where uh, he was talking about how. Jim Palmer is just so incredibly well-prepared, and he'll say things like, well, as you know, Kevin, blah, 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 blah. And Kevin Brown will be like, "I'm well, sure, of course I know that, yeah. right? I really like the interplay between the two. You said interplay, right? I did. Okay, I just want to make sure.
1: I, I get that completely, and I actually completely agree. There is a certain element of Ben McDonald slash, um, you know, kind of playing playfully banter. You know, Kevin Brown basically calling out Ben for not knowing, you know, classic pop culture that's going on in the media right now. Uh, and then Ben talking about hunting and Kevin Brown feeling so awkward, not knowing how to kind of jump into the conversation. So I would say the the dichotomy between Kevin Brown and Ben McDonald is more podcast-like, where, where Jim Palmer and Kevin Brown are much more, I would say, interesting on that basis of really some baseball IQ being thrown out.
0: Yeah, I I, I think we've been uh, pretty spoiled with the investment that's been made in the the broadcasting stable. Absolutely. All right, so this next tweet comes
1: from Roar from 34. Um, You can follow Matt Taylor at Roar from 34. The tweet goes as follows. Our sincere thanks to the Orioles for sending a wonderful care package for my daughter that included a baseball signed and personalized by Felix Batista. She's delighted. Thanks also to Orioles Twitter for spreading the word about her Felix story. And for those that don't know, Matt's daughter wrote this great story in terms of how Felix Batista uh, was this dominant pitcher he has, you know, this pitch that can get out anybody, and he gets to the Hall of Fame. Now, I don't think Felix Batista is going to get to the Hall of Fame. I'm sorry, Matt. I'm going to have to, you know, pull the stats up and correct your daughter is the best way to put it.
0: Well, Scotty. my my
1: money is on her. I, I mean, that's fine, but, like, this is the kind of Jim Hunter Orioles Glass analysis that I would expect from someone in Nashville. I'm glad that, um, you know, there's a good story here. I'm glad that there was a happy ending in terms of um, the Orioles reaching out and sending a care package. Um, this is the kind of stuff that you like
0: to see, is the best way to put it. It's something the team didn't have to do, and something that they did, and uh, love it. They love to see it happen. Our next tweet comes to us from Kabako, who of course tweets at Mass and Rock. Jorge Mateo and Cedric Mullins are the first pair of teammates to finish first and second in their league in stolen bases since 1992, and the first in the American League since 1971. It's never happened for the hashtag Orioles. I love it. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Both those players are fun to watch. Yep. And it's a nice reminder that, hey, this wasn't just me generating that excitement. This wasn't just me enjoying what I got. This was a legitimately good thing I got to see. Yep, and completely different baseball than what we've been accustomed to over the past
1: decade. Uh, Next week comes from MLB Pipeline. Um, They cover, you know, MLB-specific prospects that are going on. And folks, baseball is not quite over yet for the Orioles we've got prospects available in the Arizona Fall League. Um, and this tweet goes as follows. Heston Kirsted deep into the Arizona night. The number nine Orioles prospect sends one an estimated 424 feet away in the MLB Arizona Fall League. Pretty cool. Kersted's actually been doing pretty nice based off the numbers that I have seen coming
0: from him. So um, that's a good sign. It's a good sign. Yeah, and it's also just a great sign to see that this guy's baseball story is continuing and that it's continuing so well. Yeah, absolutely. All right, our next tweet comes from the Baltimore Orioles themselves. They, of course, tweet at Orioles. This tweet, October 9th, 2022, simply reads, Hi, we miss you. Hmm. say, There's few things that can
1: cut deep into Jake English's heart. And that is sad. That.
0: that makes me so very, so very sad.
1: Is it me you're looking for?
0: Hi Orioles, I miss you too. Come back soon. I mean, think about it this way, Drake.
1: It's only like six months until it can be
0: You shut your <laughs> mouth. All right, I'm going to recover from that dagger to the heart. When we come back, let's go around the bases. Right, Scotty. Before we before we broke, you uh, had hurt my feelings. My heart was broken. So let's just let the emotions flow, okay? Baseball season is over. The Orioles' 2022 campaign has come to an end. Game 162 has come and gone, and there were no playoffs to be had. But now that it's over, Scotty, how do you feel about the 2022 season?
1: All right. So I think everyone knows the obvious answer, but I'm going to put this in perspective. You know, the Orioles being as bad as they, as they have been for the past few years, we get to the end of the season and I'm like, I almost need a break from baseball in order to, you know, you know, rehab, rehabilitate and get myself ready for the next season. And I think a lot of Orioles fans are this way, too, where we'll start checking out in September and we'll just start kind of be like, all right, like I can only watch a car wreck so much.
0: Yeah, you got to protect
1: your heart. Right. This is the kind of season in terms of, you know, an overperformance, but also a look forward to the future that you say to yourself, I want baseball season to start next week. And it actually doesn't help the Orioles if the baseball season or starting next season like next week. You want it actually to start in April um, so that John Means can come back. But this is the first time in a long time that I can think of, even during the Buckle of Birds era, where folks are like, I want the season to restart immediately. Even when I come back and think about 2013, 2014, 2015, there's that aspect of, all right, need to do a little bit of mourning, and I'll come back. And this is the first season I don't see that at all.
0: Yeah, I feel exactly the same way. It, it is the first year in a long time where I haven't needed it's like, a break. It's almost like we're itchy again. It's like yeah. the aspect of like, hey, I got a taste of it. Can I have it again? And And this is one situation in which I feel like, especially when I was younger, there was an unconditional love for the ball club, mm-hmm. right? And this year they deserve that response. Mm-hmm. You know, and I can't I can't, you know, say in good conscience that I always am like that. Mm-hmm. But this year they certainly deserve that kind of attention. You, you and I are I I would say pretty even keel. But I'm curious as to how folks are feeling who have been very uh highly charged in their emotions since say the all-star break or since the, uh, the trade deadline, uh-huh. right. There have been folks who have been really on the war path about, Oh, well, Elias gave up and, you know, he should have pushed harder to get into the playoffs. And, you know, Hyde is making all these bad moves. And for those people who were like really aggressively determined that Orioles leadership was screwing them out of a, successful season and and that's not me like putting words in people's mouth like yeah. they, they there was that community i wonder how they are feeling about the all-star or about the the end of the season and the off season i think there's two things
1: they think i think number one they look at it and say we were so close if they would have brought up adley earlier if they would have brought up grayson rodriguez who knows what could happen and they're right who knows what could have happened that doesn't guarantee success. And I think the second thing is, and it gets into the off-season standpoint, I think they look at Michael Elias and say, all right, you promised us that you were going to basically go all in. It's time to show us at this point. So I think it's, it's a dual aspect where I think they're reflective and they're saying, we were so close, if only Elias would have done a little bit more. And I think now they're saying, all right, now it's his time to show us um, that you're going to go all out um,
0: and, you know, floaty, you know, a huge check. I want to put that particular note uh, on ice because I'm going to come back to it. But one thing that I will say is that it's very easy to Monday morning quarterback now. It's very easy for somebody like me to say, well, you know, they shouldn't have blah, 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 blah. But can you imagine if the Orioles had been more aggressive, if the Orioles had done more things to try to uh, make the playoffs? And if they had had the kind of reception in the playoffs the way the teams that got bounced out in the first round did.
1: I mean, I I think that, you know, as a Baltimore sports fan, we can look at this and just say, you know, it's within everyone's heart to know that, you know, um, we should not maybe be as aggressive and not uh, go on fourth and two and
0: just take the points is the best way to put it. I, I feel like you're making a very specific reference. Just a very specific one. All right, let's move on from that. And let me ask you, you know, as we emote about baseball season, do you have any, do you have any like, memories, favorite memories, games, moments uh, from this past season?
1: I don't know if I have, like, a specific moment. I think I will always remember Trey Mancini's last game with the sure. ball off the face, yeah. honestly. Here's another moment I'll think of, and I'll probably think about this for his, the rest of his career. It's that moment when Adley comes out for the first time onto the field. Does a circle looking around the entire field, takes a deep breath, and just kind of goes for it. So that's a moment. Um, I think the hugs are going to be something that continues to kind of be something that pops into people's head. It's just the clutchiness. Like, there was a ton of walk-off wins, is the best way to put it. I think that's what's going to look back as, like, there were a ton of walk-off wins. There was a ton of, you know, unexpected heroes in many instances. Um, And then you get to see, you know, young studs such as Adley Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson come up. Um, and I think that's what we'll look back on the season and just be like, you know, old soldiers went off and the new group came in, but it was an amazing run in terms of just some wild victories and some wild wins.
0: Yeah, absolutely. For me, I, I tried to like, once I realized that things were going to be a little different, I tried to stop and smell the roses in a way that maybe we didn't in 2020, uh-huh. right? Like in 12, it was a surprise. Uh-huh. It was a shock. We were waiting for the other foot to fall constantly. We, we weren't convinced it was for real. Um, and you and I talked through the season about the fact that, well, this club is probably not built for the playoffs, yeah. right? This probably isn't going to work out. But man, it's fun. Um, and so I, I tried to leave myself open to to kind of paying attention. And one of the things that really struck out, uh, stuck out to me was the, the Little League Classic because it was a moment when the Orioles were on national display. Uh-huh. They were on national display, and you had guys like – Adley Rutschman and, and Austin Hayes and Cedric Mullins who were like in there with the kids and you know like Hyde was going down the the hill with the kids and you know the Orioles were were of national note they were the only thing going on and then they went and they won that game yep. on national TV yeah. um, and that was one of those things where it's like well that's not the way this script is supposed yeah. to work.
1: Normally it's go on to ESPN and go against the Red Sox and the Red Sox win
0: 8-1. Right, right. Uh, but, but for me, there are lots of little things that, that I'll remember. You know, I, I remember that walk-off home run that Kyle Stowers hit. You know, yep. uh, being so happy to see probably the least accomplished by the time their careers are over of that 2019 uh, draft class. But, you know, no less fun to watch. Um, and then the, the pitching. I love that weirdness of the fact that our, our starters dominated Houston. Yes. you had that really weird run where in August on the 26th and the 27th Kyle Bradish went eight innings scoreless then Dean Kramer went seven and two thirds over one run but then later on in uh, in September on uh, the 22nd you had Bradish going eight and two thirds scoreless with 10 strikeouts and then the next game Kramer goes a complete game scoreless and oh by the way all of that happened. The day after the, uh, Jordan Lyles threw a complete game Maddox against, uh, I think it was the White Sox or somebody. Yeah. But who would have thunk it, yeah. right? Coming into this season, when we when we got Jordan Lyles, I did think you think that he would be leading our staff into dominating the Astros?
1: I mean, I, I think we all looked at it at the beginning of the season and said, like, John Means it's going to be your ace, and then who else is going to form out this rotation? And I think one of the topics that we talked about at the end of the 2021 season was, and this was the big complaint that I made, which was none of the pitching progressed. None of the pitching progressed after 2021. And I said, that is the biggest disappointment coming out of the 2021 season. I said that there is no pitchers that stepped up and made you say, and and Elias said this at spring training, he's like, some pitchers are going to have to step up or they're going to be off this team. Um, And certain pitchers definitely stepped up. Dean Kramer is a great example of a pitcher that. I wouldn't say was on the chopping block. Actually, I'll take that back. He was on the chopping block. I mean, in reality, I mean, it was going to be a matter of like if he couldn't figure out his role this year, he was going to get designated for assignment.
0: I think over the last 2 years, you and I have both at several instances left him for debt.
1: I mean, I have multiple times, I've many times said, I don't think Dean Kramer is, you know, a great pitcher. I still don't know if he's a great pitcher. Like I said, I think he's definitely more interesting to me right now. <laughs> um but I don't know where he fits in my in my strategy from a future standpoint. But again, even seeing Bradish, you know, he definitely had his, his lumps at the beginning of the season. He started to get it again together again in the second half of the season. But you're absolutely right. Jordan Lyles was um, let's should say it was a godsend to this rotation. I mean, going out there and just getting the innings um uh, that, you know, the Orioles wanted to get him for. Um, huge, huge signing.
0: Huge signing. The other thing is that. He's such a weird guy when you listen to his post game interviews you know and and don't get me wrong, people who are paid millions of dollars to throw a ball uh you know i I don't need them to be Lord Byron or anything, but looking past that, the content of what he says is the kind of stuff you want to hear from a clubhouse mm-hmm. leader, you know he's always wanted to take responsibility, he's always wanted to make it about the team, it's always about you know what I'm supposed to do and whether or not I executed that. And I really do think that, you know, I mean, he's not that old a guy, 29, 30 or whatever, but I really think that he did lead that staff in a way that, that probably did catch
1: on. I, I completely agree. I mean, I think it's, it's kind of understood and known based off of, you know, the pictures coming out and talking about Jordan Lyles as the dad, basically. But I think for those folks that look at Jordan Lyles and they're just like, eh, like, was that a really good signing? That was a great signing. I'm sorry I will fight someone over this. Like, was $10 million. <laughs> like, that was a great sign. It, it's like. I don't know if you could have spent $10 million any better.
0: No, absolutely not. Yeah. Um, Another memory for me was I I really loved the personality of Jorge Lopez. It Mm -hmm. it was a bummer to see him go, but watching the mountain take over as the closer and watching the fan base kind of embrace him. Some guy
1: said at the beginning of spring training Hey, Felix Batista is going to be the closer by the time. That's right. Oh, my goodness.
0: (laughs) I forgot all about that. The first
1: time we've ever made a Bevy prediction in spring training that actually came true.
0: Well, we need to we need to celebrate <laughs> this moment.
1: How did we? How did I forget this? That's a that's incredible. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, like you could just look at him during spring training and be like, he's got the stuff that potentially could be a closer. And he's was got the juice. And again, it's nothing against Jorge Lopez. No, it's just you could look at him and be like, wow, like he's
0: got stuff. Is the best way to put it. The thing is. The thing for me, though, is that watching the fans interact with Felix Bautista, it felt like the way we embraced Jim Johnson. Yes. It felt like this team, this role, this guy has this persona that we participate in. And that's, that's part of mm-hmm. my memory of when the team was good. Yep. Uh, so I was, I was excited to see that. Again, just like these, these little things. But I think it was only a day. But there was a day during this season when the Orioles were, you know, if the if the season ended today, the following teams would be in the playoffs. Incredible, incredible. I I thought, you know, I I laugh, haha, this team's going to lose a hundred games. But this team was not expected to go anywhere, right? And we had a winning season. I mean that that you know, winning that eighty second game was meaningful. Yes, but but being in the chase for as long as they were, you know, you and I at one point said, look, let's be realistic, it's it's over. But that conversation, I mean, we played meaningful games in September.
1: Played meaningful games in September, and, you know, in reality, I would say up until two weeks before the end of the season, you know, you could keep an eye on the standings, yeah. is the best yeah. way to put it. Um, I'd say those last two weeks, not really keeping an eye on the standings. It was the doubleheader on,
0: on September 5th that it, killed them. It was the doubleheader, and again, it just, it happens. Yeah. Um,
1: and it's not that big of a deal, but, you know, even after that doubleheader, there was a little bit of a, a little streak there, and just like, eh, maybe. Like, something could happen here. But it just wasn't enough. So close, but so far away at the same time. But again, it's that allure, as it were, that enticing aroma of potential that comes back to that point that we made at the very beginning, which is we want baseball season to start as soon as possible because we've gotten a whiff of it at this point.
0: I know that, you know, we tend to be, I hope we tend to be realistic. And there are times where, uh, you know, people, people interpret that as negativity, but You know, as much as you and I said, you know, well, it's probably not going to happen, blah, blah, blah. blah. We were we were there, you know, just like everybody else, hoping and praying that it would be different. And that that didn't make any of the wins any less sweet or, you know, the disappointments any more bitter when when it didn't happen.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it is a, a matter, though, like if we're looking back on the season and yes, there were some really great performances. You know, we do have to think about this, though, of like they were really good, but at the same time. They did finish with a negative run differential. You know, I wouldn't say they're they're a great team. I wouldn't say they're a bad team. But I would say they're right around a 500 baseball team, which says to me, you're so close, but you can't stop now. Like, you got to keep kind of pushing further in now and becoming a better
0: team. So you're saying you need the front office to start chanting, we won't stop. We won't stop. We won't stop. Yeah, until
1: you go against the Royals. Jeez.
0: Oh, All right. I think that's a great place to stop this particular base. Yeah. Round the corner and head over to second base. And Scotty, let's do it. Let's uh let's look at award season. Baseball uh playoffs are still happening, but again, season's over here in Baltimore, so we'll we'll just talk it through. MVO was decided. The local uh beat writers got together and the the local media picked Adley Rutschman. I think that's a no-brainer. I agree. No brainer. Here's something that's weird. Did I read that Rugnet got a positive integer? of votes for MVO. That makes no sense. That makes zero sense. Yeah, that's that makes no sense to me. I know that we rag on him and and he did have a I mean net I would say net positive influence this year, but nowhere near yeah, consideration sense. for MVO. That makes no sense to me. I'm sorry. I mean, why why not give I, it to I'm Robinson sure. Trinos?
1: I'm sure that's someone that put him in in the, the third spot because you get three votes. Um I I don't understand that, whatsoever. Like that's just a th- that's that's someone that you pull aside and be like, "Yes, we're going to ask you to stop voting for the most valuable Oriole."
0: Maybe they wanted so much for their first pick to win that they didn't want to dilute the votes, right? Yeah, that's sneaky. See, now we've gotten to the bottom of it. Yeah, that's sneaky. I have a degree in political science, my friend. I'll yeah. I'll figure it out eventually. Yeah, that's sneaky. But here's the real deal. Yep. Adley Rutschman. Yep. Most valuable Oriole. Yep. Is he? a legitimate AL Rookie of the Year candidate. Of course. Okay. No I'm
1: gonna, question.
0: I'm going to uh, I'm gonna need you to take off your headphones. Okay. I'm going to need you to put on this tinfoil hat. Okay. My next question to you is this, yep. Orioles fan. Is there any chance the Major League Baseball and its affiliated media will ever let a Baltimore Oriole win a national award? Yes. You think Adley Rutschman is going to be Rookie of the Year this year? No. Great season. Absolutely
1: great season. Uh, And I would say he is right there, back-to-back with Julio Rodriguez, but Julio Rodriguez is my AL Rookie of the Year. Sorry.
0: Agreed. Yeah, absolutely. If this had been another year, maybe Adley Rutschman would have uh, what it would take? I would say that if Adley would have started the season with the Baltimore Orioles,
1: I think there would have been a really good chance for him to be Rookie of the Year this year. Um, The fact that he didn't start the season with the Orioles, again, coming off that injury, um, and the Orioles kind of taking it easy with him, he made a momentous comeback through the season. But again, I've been looking at Julio Rodriguez playing the entire season and then also getting the Mariners into the playoffs. He's my Rookie of the year.
0: I agree. I agree. It's a bummer, but you can't take away what Adley did. He was incredible. He was incredible to watch. Yeah, I mean, as much as
1: people want to, you know, make a big deal of this, it's not a huge deal. I mean, uh, there's plenty of A.L. rookies of the year that, you know, you know, have a great season, kind of flaunt out, but I don't think Julio Rodriguez is going to do it. There's also plenty of players that finish second, third, fourth in Rookie of the Year and have great careers. So I have no concerns about Julio Rodriguez or Adley Rutschman. I think they're both going to have great careers going forward in the future.
0: I am concerned that uh, Adley Rutschman can't win Rookie of the Year every year. That, that seems unfair. But that does seem unfair. Okay. Uh, We've teased this before Brandon Hyde Well loved by everyone in Mm -hmm. Birdland But also a lot of shine Within uh, the national media Particularly with how the Orioles have done Mm -hmm. Is he your AL manager of the year? He is not Okay, why? So, great
1: season, no doubt about it But again, you still finished In fourth place in the AL East You improved dramatically compared to the previous season. But again, I'm going to go back to the Mariners. Scott Servais is going to get my manager of the year. Um, you know, being able to compete in the AL West like they did, being able to get a playoff spot for the first time for the Mariners in such a long time. I think Scott Servais
0: deserves it. So I do not disagree with you. Yeah. Let me just, cards on the table. Yeah. But devil's advocate. How many games did that guy play against the Yankees? Probably six or seven at most, uh, and the uh, and the Blue Jays, uh,
1: six or seven, and the the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, six or seven, and they also played eighteen to nineteen against the
0: Angels. <laughs> yeah. So again, and, and, and the Athletics taking nothing yes. away from the job that they did out there. And again, if you can't get behind what the Mariners and Mariners fans are experiencing right now, you have no soul. No soul. So so I believe me, this is this is all devil's advocate. I, yeah. I will say. That your statement, which is true, yep. that he ended up fourth in the American League East, is kind of a double-edged sword. It, it is.
1: And it's the standpoint of, you know, you come back and you look at, well, you finished behind the Yankees, you finished behind the Rays, and you finished behind the Blue Jays. So it's like, okay, that's not terrible. Here's the thing. If the Orioles would have got to a playoff spot, Brandon is my 100% AL Manager of the Year. I will fight anybody in the, in the media,
0: including Chris Davis in the dugout.
1: Absolutely, there's no question about. It. I'm going to launch myself into him as a curveball, so he misses me. But Brandon
0: Hyde came so close, but he's just not
1: quite there.
0: And I'll tell you, I think the thing that we are guilty of here is that we are taking it as in his entire body of work, mm-hmm. right? And Michael Elias said that as much in in the the uh, end of season press conference where he said you know this is really about the last 4 years and that's not what the manager of the year award is about i'll i'll tell you also the the guy up in uh toronto whose name escapes me taking over as an interim manager uh the way he did uh-huh. and and you know having his club play the way it did you got to give consideration up there too because that that is a heck of a job that was a really I was be John Schneider. John Schneider, thank you. This is terrible, but every time I see him, all I can think is uh, DJ Stewart. Yeah. I'm sure DJ Stewart is managing that team. Uh, But no, I think he did a great job, uh, particularly getting such a uh, close look at his club. And again, I will come back
1: to the Brandon Hyde standpoint we are probably Brandon Hyde's harshest critics in Baltimore. It'll be very interesting to see, does the national media look at it and say, who would have thought, just like you said, who would have thought the of Orioles could have been in playoff contention? Um, and in essence, look at the story as opposed to the decisions that were made on a day-to-day basis.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, the expectation versus reality, you know, it's probably... If that happens and Brandon Hyde wins
1: manager of the year and the Orioles get an award from the national media, does Buster only commit suicide onto, like, a katana blade?
0: No, but they must make him it over. over. <laughs> hey, he has to be part of that ceremony.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: All right, let's round second. Let's head into third base, and at third, I mean, we've teed it up at this point, but I want to talk about friends and foes being bounced out of the AL wild card round. Yeah. First and foremost, what do you think about the new format with the uh, playoffs, the extended playoffs? Can I be honest. Yeah. I wasn't a fan, actually. All right. What What didn't work for you? I I
1: I mean I, it's it's heartbreaking as Orioles fans we know this. I like the anxiety and the stress of the one game series.
0: I love to hear you say that because I I think the beauty of that one game uh play in was a recreation of that 163 game between the uh the uh Twins and was it the was it Cleveland? I don't remember yeah. which but there was a there was a game between uh al central teams where you know they had to play a, another game to decide who was going to go to the playoffs and it was so exciting and i think that was part of what drove baseball to that format and i agree i, I think that a three-game series where it is you know more you know whatever I, I get that that uh you know chance plays less of a role but yeah i i, I miss the one game
1: it's not going to be for a while but I would actually like to see them go back to the one game. I think it makes a lot of sense um, and really drives people to try to get that first
0: or second spot. Doesn't make anybody more money. No, it does not make anybody more money. So we, we talked about friends and foes. Let's, let's start with the Mets. Mets pods. That was a tough series for me to care about one way or the other, because there was a lot of post or former Oriole love on both sides.
1: There was connections
0: on both sides. You
1: got the Padres with Flaherty Machado Got Jones, Jones on there too, yeah. Kirby, Kirby, yeah. And then you've got you know Buck over in the other booth as well. At the same time, I'm looking at, it, I'm like, it's New York. I want to root for the Padres. Yeah, but it,
0: it's it's the Mets. What what would be more obnoxious to Yankees fans than having the Mets do well? That's true.
1: I mean, there there is that, but again, it's still New York, and I don't want to see New York fans happy.
0: And and I am all about spite for Yankees fans.
1: Oh yes. Um, but yeah, weird series. We also we had Eargate on, on on game three.
0: Yeah, what was th- that was so weird. His was ear just, was glistening. That was
1: Buck just trying to disrupt routine. I mean, his spatters were not even coming close. Uh, yeah. I did find it
0: interesting
1: that I would say certain individuals that are not super statistically inclined were making a bigger deal out of numbers than they needed to be. Um, and I'm looking at Jason Stark, and I'm looking at Steve Molesky. They're like, well, like his spin rate's up slightly. And I'm like, it's a hundred rotations per minute. Like it's nothing. Like it literally is nothing. And yeah, I just don't understand. Like, it's like people are looking like, well, there's a difference. And it's just like, yeah, but is it significant enough to be that big of a difference?
0: Are you implying that there were perhaps lies, damn lies and statistics?
1: What I'm saying is this is what happens when people decide to say, hey, statistics are the new thing, and we're going to really exemplify them without understanding the significance of the statistics.
0: All right. That checks out. Yeah. That checks out. All right. So Buck is out. Uh, Is he NL Manager of the Year? I think so. Okay. Um, First of all, he's two years ahead. Yeah. But is he NL Manager of the Year the way- Wait,
1: wait, wait. Hold up a second here. You're right about this. Let me think about this for a second. So Buck gets manager of the year. Cohen obviously is upset with him because he had won 101 games this year but he couldn't win a playoff series. So Buck is can't fired. So the Orioles rehire Buck and win the World Series.
0: I I meant the the fourth thing. Oh, yeah. 94, 2004, yeah, 14. Oh, that's he true. can't win it again until 2024. That's true. He is ahead of schedule. He is ahead of schedule. But you mentioned that they they won 101 what 101? 101, yeah, 101, 101 games. games and uh and didn't didn't advance but they also like fell apart they They had a commanding lead
1: yeah i mean the braves just absolutely you know skyrocketed i mean the braves were one of the better teams in all major league baseball in the second half so like let's ignore you know the mets falling apart let's just focus on the aspect of the dodgers and the braves were two of the best teams in major league baseball for the second half of the
0: year absolutely but but uh if you have the highest payroll in baseball, as mm-hmm. the Mets did, mm-hmm. and you're in the driver's seat, mm-hmm. I don't know how that happens. And and again, I love Buck, and I'm not saying he's not the manager of the year, but that that's the counter argument, I say.
1: Yeah, and there's a lot of questionable decisions that were made by Buck in that playoff series.
0: Like, why didn't he pitch Britain? More like the
1: whole Edwin Diaz aspect, like once you went up six to one on Saturday evening, like why did you bring Diaz back out for another game? Now, it didn't matter as it relates to game three, but if that would have been a one run game and Diaz would have been, you know, gassed a little bit. Oh, buddy. Also, there was nothing more depressing. I think the Mets fans than seeing Edwin Diaz come out in the seventh inning in game three, be like, all right, at least we get to hear the trumpets one more time.
0: Yeah. For series. I care about even more. Yeah. Uh, The rays and the guardians. Nope. I still don't care about this series either. I I will tell you, I don't have the, um, I don't have the hatred for the Rays that I do for the other teams in the division. I don't have the hatred for the Rays, but this was a nothing series to me.
1: Yeah, like there was nothing that happened, and I know there was the long extra innings game on Saturday. That was a terrible game.
0: I it was a terrible game. I was excited about that.
1: It was a terrible game. Like the batters at the plate were absolutely garbage.
0: I was really hoping that we would get to the situation where they had to start using position players, where. You would have starters for future. Like I was thinking to myself, this game is going to screw up somebody's playoff. Yeah. How exciting that for me, that was, that was the draw. I did. I wanted wanted chaos,
1: but yeah, it's a terrible aspect. So, I mean, I, I don't feel bad for the Rays. Um, no, it just is what it is. Like they weren't good. And they just kind of, kind of, you know, just meandered along enough to basically, you know, get into the playoffs. Um, I thought the Guardians were going to win that series um, and the Guardians did what they always do which is score very few runs and still manage to win games.
0: All right. We're there. Yes. The Blue Jays. Oh,
1: such a great series.
0: Delicious. Such a great series. Delicious justice. Yeah. It's satisfying on a number of levels. I, I will say that there was part of me that was reminiscent of um, the 2016 wild card mm. and uh and was satisfied with the result this year. Yeah. I mean, you
1: think about that comeback uh, and you think about the Mariners, I mean, it's just, uh, it's just a really impressive comeback. First of all, from the Mariners, um, you know, seven run deficit coming back from it. I don't know what else to say. I mean, if you, if you don't get geeked out about that as a, as a, as a baseball fan. And like you mentioned, Jake, if you can't get geeked out at watching the Mariners fans lose their minds. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know what I don't know what I can tell you. Like that's just that's what baseball is for—is to kind of have those moments.
0: This team hasn't made the playoffs in what twenty-one years. Yeah, yeah. Get behind this team.
1: That's it was a great series. Um, have it, the
0: Mariners ever won a World Series? No. Get behind this team. Yeah.
1: So gr- great, 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 great series. Um, and it was great to see uh, Blue Jays fans so upset, so angry, and just start questioning—you know—what the future holds for the Blue Jays.
0: It's possible, thinking back to some of my uh, Twitter experience this year, that uh, the Blue Jays were not for real. Let's hmm. see what you did there. Yeah. Let's see what you did there. Yeah. There were a lot of Blue Jays fans that were um, vocal. Vocal? At the end of this year that were, uh, I would say, aggressive. Uh-huh. And uh, I really hope that they enjoyed
1: this series. Enjoy the winter.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. All right, well, let's round third. Let's head into home plate, and that is the offseason. And, Scotty, we, we've talked about this a little bit. What are we going to do? What yeah. are we going to do here? Michael Elias has said it's liftoff. Liftoff. Michael Elias has said this team is. Which you know great. what
1: that means. No. They're not in Asheville. Stop <laughs> it. Liftoff. What, what else could it mean?
0: The Mayflower vans are parked They're not moving. Or even better,
1: maybe liftoff is the password to the Astros database. (laughs) Maybe Elias (laughs) and Madel are going to go in there and steal some information.
0: That I like. I like that (laughs) way better. But uh, he he said in that that press conference that I referenced earlier that the Orioles are in contention for the AL East next year. And that they're not going to take it for granted that the things that happened this year are going to happen again and... They expect to add to what we have, and that some players will, will develop. And so, we've talked a little bit about what we think is likely to happen. But I, we, you and I chatted this week, and I and I said, "Hey, let's talk on the show about what it would take to have a successful 2023." And then you gobsmacked me.
1: Gobsmacked you.
0: You you left me in awe with a simple question, and your question was,
1: "What would you consider to be successful for 2023?"
0: Yeah, well...
1: This is the classic manager question of, like,
0: where do you see yourself in five years? <laughs> I think a, a successful 2023 is competing for the playoffs uh-huh. in a way that doesn't wreck the overall viability of the franchise for competing in the extended window. I don't think that's enough. Oh, this is not the direction I thought you were going. Now I'm excited. I thought, I thought you were going to tell me that something else was success... What do you what do you think success is? I think the only aspect from a success standpoint is
1: playoff next year.
0: Okay, I'm now I'm very excited about this conversation. And, and that
1: does not. I mean, I agree with Michael Elias that you should go out and try to win the division. But my goal would be, I want to finish in the number two or number three spot in the at East.
0: Yeah, because that's going to do it. That that's the thing with this expanded playoff format. You right. you look at how. And it's not like the Orioles finished a game out. But you look at how close we were.
1: And I and I come back to the standpoint of, I do think it's enough based off of other teams in various other divisions. And you've already mentioned it earlier of, we are no longer going to have the weighted schedule next year. To the degree. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're going to still have a, a slightly heavier weighted uh, to the AL East. But I think we go to, what, 11 games or 12 games? Yeah, something like So we're going to lose seven games against... The Red Sox, we're going to lose seven games against, you know, the Yankees. We're going to lose seven games against the Rays. No,
0: no, no. Those are those are wins, Scott. Okay, those gotcha. are wins.
1: So, I mean, it just seems like it's 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 going to balance itself out. But again, I look at this and I say, you know, based off of what we did this year, you flirted with playoff, and you flirted it with it to mid September. So I'm ready. is it swipe left or swipe right? I'm an old man at this y- point. Y- yes. Yeah. And just say it's time to go for a playoff spot.
0: I love this.
1: I love again, to hear it. I come back to this point again, what I said back when we were rebuilding in 2000, you know, oh, what is it? 2018, I think it was. And I said, the Orioles are going to take five years and then they're going to be competing for a playoff spot. And it looks like we're, I mean, we competed with the playoff spot, honestly, this year. But I think 2023 was the year I was like, that's when all the chips have to start getting pushed in. In order to basically make it happen.
0: I wish I was competent enough to go back and, and search that kind of crap, but you you did. That I do recall sitting in SD studios and you saying 2023 is the year yeah. that, that these things are gonna happen. Okay. So now I love it. I love hearing that the expectations playoffs are bust. And and I love that the the expectation has been raised. Yeah. Right? That's what this season was was yeah. in service of.
1: And again, I, I come back to the previous point that I made a few minutes ago, which is The Orioles can't just go into next season and just say, hey, we're going to sign one or two players, and we're going to go from being a 78-82 to win team to, in reality, I think you need to be an 89-win team. That's seven wins. So you've got to make some significant upgrades, and you're going to have to make some really tough choices of saying, is this the player that I want in that position? And I think there's going to be players like Jorge Mateo, which... I love Jorge Mateo, and he had a great season. He had a three-war season, but the question has to be raised. Do you think Jorge Mateo is going to have another three to four-war season next year? Do you think he's going to progress? Or is his you know, services best rendered in another role on this team going forward? Okay. Those are tough decisions.
0: The, the other thing I will say, uh, cosign, agree all, with all of that. The other thing that I will say about hard decisions is that the Orioles' success has been has been contingent on the best case scenario working out for them. Mm-hmm. And if the Orioles are going to get those seven wins better, Yep, I think that they need to be overly sure.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: And what that means is that some guys are not going to get the opportunity to play at the major league level for the entire season the way that in years past, this past year's performance would have entitled them to. Yep. And and we'll get in specifics as to what I mean by that in a little bit, but we have led with our hearts because mm-hmm. the Orioles play has, has allowed that. Uh-huh. Playing with your heart doesn't build a winning franchise, and the Orioles are going to have to make decisions that are going to ensure that they can withstand a long season.
1: Yeah. No, I agree. They're going to have to make tough decisions and they're going to have to, you know, come back to the Duquette era. And again, I'm not a huge fan of Duquette, but the one thing that he did a really good job was he did a really good job of minimizing negative war players. And again, if we're talking about negative war players, I'm going to come with one vote Dor, who, yes, had some big moments, but on a whole was a negative player.
0: <laughs> one vote. I like it. All right. I, I'm going to put cards on the table here. Okay. I think that the Baltimore Orioles need to upgrade their starting uh, pitching in a big way. No no doubt. And I say that loving the steps that our starting pitchers took. Absolutely. I love it. I, I was a big fan of Tyler Wells. Yep. I, I've been uh, championing Tyler Wells as a starter. I don't want him starting in 2023. No. He should go into the bullpen. Absolutely. I look at Tyler Wells and I see Brock Brad, Le- I Brad see, Brock. I see Brad
1: Brock or Jorge Lopez.
0: Yeah. We saw, we saw Tyler Wells in, what, 2020 Yeah, do that from a closing standpoint
1: and did a decent job. I mean, he can do that.
0: Um, that's the role Tyler Wells needs to fit going forward for the future for this team. In the next golden era of, uh, era of Orioles baseball, I agree. Yeah. In, in crap years, you can try him as a starter. Sure. I think the Orioles need to go out and they need to make two acquisitions mm-hmm. for the rotation. I think they need to get themselves a surefire real starter. I agree. And I think they need to get a middle of the road Jordan Lyle esque starter. I agree with this. I want a
1: top end starter. And then I actually want, I wouldn't even say Jordan Lyles. I'd actually go with like older veteran. I'd be okay with like someone in their 35s. Like sure. Someone yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. up, like, maybe even someone that's not going to pitch more than 110 innings. Because again, you've got John Means coming back. So you can kind of wane them back out. I think there are a few of those individuals that are in their mid-30s that you could potentially utilize as a half-season standpoint. But I completely agree that the Orioles need to go out and sign a number one slash number two starter.
0: And I say that because we've got Means coming back. I I love Means. I love Means. I, I love business time. What I'll say is we don't know. Exactly. We don't know what he's going to be like when he comes back. Yeah. I think he'll be decent.
1: But I've always said, too, about John Means, I don't consider John Means to be an ace. I consider him to be a two or three.
0: He's good. He's very good. And, and, and if, we need to be better. And if he could be that, it would be a coup. Oh, absolutely. But we don't know that he's going to be Correct. There. I will say that Grayson Rodriguez is going to be here next year. Right. But we don't know. We don't know. We don't know what he's going to be. Right. And I think if we are depending on Grayson Rodriguez to win in seasons where we expect the Orioles to win, we should do it in an environment where not all, not everything's riding on him. Sure. So, okay, let's get specific. I think it's Redone.
1: I, I, like I said, if if I could write a check for anybody, it'd be Redone. I don't, I don't know what it's going to take. I don't know what kind of crazy money is going to be thrown out there because there's going to be crazy money thrown out for Redone. I
0: mean, like four years, one thirty. It's going to be more than that. The real, the real question I have is: Do the Orioles have that kind of contract in them? That for a, big, a pitcher. That's a big question, isn't it? Because Peter never did.
1: Is John going to be willing to do it? And, and, is John going to be willing to do it in order to send a
0: message to the community of, we're staying? Does it factor or not, and this is more rhetorical, you don't need, the answer, need to know the answer to this, does it matter or not that they've been skimping for the last five years? Yes. I it, think it helps. It, I think it helps too, but Ghosts of Orioles past they just skimped and put it in their pocket. Okay, so I I agree and disagree with this to a certain regard. And this is why I bring this up
1: is like, if we go back and look at the buckle up birds era, the Orioles were top 10 in baseball in terms of payroll. Okay. And they were well over the revenue that they were generating as a club. So they were spending was $153 million. And I think in those years, the Orioles were pulling in right around $130 million. So they were doing $20 million over what they were spending. Now, you can come back and say, well, you know, the number that you're throwing out for 130000000 million isn't correct because of Masson numbers and stuff like that. But I think we've also learned now from the Masson, you know, agreement that is in place and that's going to eventually be, you know, ruled upon that the Orioles were, you know, stealing a little bit from the bank in order to kind of, you know, fund the Buckle Upwards era. So, I, I mean,
0: I do look at... Ro- this, robbing Paul to pay Peter. To a certain regard,
1: yes. Yeah. But I, I look at this and I say the Orioles have invested and gone above their revenue generation standpoint. In a few years. But I look back at, you know, ever since 2018, and I say to myself, the Orioles have historically been spending, you know, 50 to $60 million under where they should be. Um, there should be money available to overspend slightly. Yeah, I've been floating this number in my head. and Like, what does liftoff mean? Like, if the team is at $50 million right now, How much money could they spend? Are they going to take it to 80 million? A hundred million? 120 million? 150 million? I think a Rodona is going to cost at least 30 to 35 million. There's no question in my mind.
0: Yeah. I think you need to spend more than that. Let's say let's say that doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. Okay? Let's say you can't land a fish. Let's dodge the question of will they, uh, a try. Mm -hmm. Let's say you can't Mm -hmm. land that particular fish. I think there's also a class of pitcher that probably is going to want a shorter uh, contract. And so I ask you, clearly I think it's less likely to happen. Mm -hmm. What about a Justin Verlander?
1: I would love someone like a Verlander or someone like that. I just don't think it's going to happen. Why would Verlander leave
0: Houston? Yeah, like I said, not gonna happen. But but a an older pitcher, yeah. still lots of good wear on him, chasing a playoff opportunity, that's the kind of that's the the avatar of sure. who who we would get if we can't get Redon.
1: So with Molina now retiring, we're going after Adam
0: Rainway? Absolutely. <laughs> what about like if uh if uh Taiwan Walker can't uh get a, a a deal done with the Mets?
1: No. I don't think it's going to work. Again, my, I agree with you. My boomer bust is Carlos Rodon this year. Like I want Carlos Rodon. If we don't get Carlos Rodon, I'm going to be really upset. Um, there's one other name I think I've thrown on the podcast before. And again, it, it doesn't come through free agency. It comes through trade. And it's Pablo Sanchez with the Marlins. Okay. And I am perfectly fine trading away D.L. Hall and maybe a Jordan Westberg for Pablo Sanchez. Yeah. I'm cool with that.
0: That gets it done.
1: Yeah. And be, it's only for two years, but you sign up for, you basically trade them and then you see if you can basically say, hey, can we, you? Can we extend you now?
0: Sure. Um, yeah. The 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 next thing is if you can't get a redone in, in free agency, you look at your war chest of prospects yep. and find an organization that matches up. And, you know, we could wish cast all we want. Uh we're going to be nowhere as good as as Michael Elias is at it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I just brought up Dio Hall and he didn't come up in your name of rotation starters.
0: I if it were me, thank God it's not. If it were me, he wouldn't start at the majors next year. I agree. I I think the Orioles need to have a rotation that forces Hall into a reserve role, meaning that it takes 6 to 9 starters to get through a playoff season. Yes and he needs to be part of the
1: he needs to push off someone like a Dean Kramer or a Kyle Bradish off the rotation.
0: when they get injured, when they falter, yeah. for whatever reason, he's going to pitch. He's just not going to be there. And and again, my my rotation would would look like, you know, that number 1 guy we keep saying Radon or, you know, what whatever it is, John Means, Grayson Rodriguez, I would I would pick up Jordan Lyles again. Oh, absolutely. And then my number five would be a combination of Kyle Bradish, and Dean Kramer. And again, the other guy is next man up when somebody falters or sure. gets injured.
1: You've got Tyler Wells, Spencer Watkins could be a financial other name. Um, I think Michael Ballman going forward is a relief pitcher. I mean, me personally. Yeah. But I think you've got Austin Both. I mean, we didn't even cover Austin Both. I mean, you don't think... I mean, Austin Both, I think, is a... Interesting player for the bullpen once again.
0: Oh, in the bullpen, yeah, yeah, but I. I but as a spot start, like yeah, maybe a swingman. Yeah, swingman.
1: Like you're going to basically say, "Hey, both, we need to go three innings.
0: I would rather have him on the roster than say uh, Keegan Aiken in that role. Oh, Keegan Aiken,
1: I've got no tolerance for Keegan Aiken. Like, uh, yeah,
0: I've got no tolerance for Keegan Aiken. <laughs> okay, so we agree the rotation. You need a big swing. Yes. And, and a and a medium swing.
1: Yes, you need to get two pitchers into your rotation okay it's a it's a unbelievable ask for the Baltimore Orioles. like it's unfathomable like it's unfathomable I mean you think about back to again buckle up birds era Abaldo and Alex Cobb being signed at the very last hour because no other team wanted to go in on him this would be unprecedented
0: so so would the Orioles opening up a window of dominance in the league because they're such a tremendously well-run organization. Yeah. I completely agree. And that's why I still think
1: that with Elias and Medell and also with John Angelos, I think we may see unprecedented activity this off season. The time, as Michael Elias said, is now people kept saying like, do it now, do it now. It's just like, as like, it's not the right time. Um, I was a little upset about this year, honestly, that I'm like, I wish you would have pulled the trigger on at least one player that would have been for like <laughs> a multi-year deal. Um, but I was just like, all right, I kind of get it. Um, but this is it. Like, you've waited now for five years. You haven't spent any money. Now's the time to basically spend all your money.
0: We've talked in previous podcasts about needing to upgrade offensively as well. Yeah. I think that Austin Hayes is probably the odd man out in the outfield. I agree. And it honestly, wouldn't surprise me either to see an Anthony Santander moved as a way to bring somebody else in and add further this is to I the believe outfield.
1: Year three of us going into offseason where we said Anthony Santander is going to get moved.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's a lock deal. It just wouldn't surprise me.
1: I think the Orioles will want that to happen. as <laughs> the best way to put it. Um, I don't know. I'm in a weird situation with Anthony Santander. Like, I'm not a huge Anthony Santander fan is the best way to put it. But a part of me also looks at it and says, putting him at DH
0: is not a bad thing. Well, the other thing is that he's not the guy anymore. He's a complimentary piece now. Right. He's the Jonathan Scope of the next great Orioles team as far as his impact.
1: So he's the Steve Pierce?
0: <laughs> no, but I mean, like, you look at you look at where we're going to get the runs, it's not dependent on Anthony Santander anymore. I,
1: well, I agree with that, but I still think it's nice to have someone like Santander that hits thirty plus home.
0: Runs. Sure, no, absolutely. You get no argument for. I'm much. I'm just much more uh, comfortable with keeping him. Yeah. In that role, than you know, the primary. As so he I think had for been.
1: arbitration, I think they threw out a number today that he was around like seven point six million or something like that. Write the check.
0: I, 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 I think, think that's worth it. Oh, absolutely. I think that's, that's a no brainer.
1: I mean I think he's a two-war player honestly in my opinion and like I said I think he's worth I'd say 12 million is what the number I would have in my head like of what I would think he'd be worth. Um I would write a $7 million check to him. Absolutely. I think it's just a question of like is there a better person in the minors at this time and I like Kyle Stowers a lot but I don't know if he's an immediate upgrade to Anthony Santander and that's the big standpoint it's like unless you're getting an upgrade why take the risk.
0: Yeah. If I'm the Orioles, I bring in another outfielder. And, uh, you know, I looked, at, I looked at free agency. I wasn't wowed by any of the names. And so I think that's probably another trade situation. But I upgrade the outfield if I'm the Baltimore Orioles. That scares me.
1: I mean, I agree that Austin Hayes probably can't be on the team on a long-term basis. Um, and I'll be interested to see what the Orioles do. He's entering into arbitration. He's supposed to make $3.4 million,
0: which, again, is not a lot.
1: Which is not a lot. It's only arbitration year one. Mullins, I think, is supposed to be making $4 million. Um, if I look at Mullins versus Hayes, I'm taking Mullins 100% of the time over Hayes. I, I just don't know what the Orioles would do with Hayes. I don't think they're not going to non-tender him. So like, the question is, like, what team would be interested in picking up Hayes? I feel like for three million dollars, someone's going to think that they can get something out of Hayes for your three, your four, and your five. I just don't know what you get back in return.
0: Yeah, it's not going to be a one for one. It's move to make the room and then yeah. go get somebody. Yeah. Um. So you know, I wish I had a I wish I had a better answer on the outfielders. Again, I looked. I didn't love what I saw. So I think that's a trade situation, and that's crapshoot. I, I can't say you know, hey, yeah. we got to go. Unless you know, of course. Let's just pulse the wall. Let's go get Otani, right? Or,
1: or, or go with Judge. Right. Just put him in center field. Of course, Easy.
0: Yeah, easy. Yeah. done. Uh, no, we gotta we gotta have him out there in left field. You know.
1: Uh, that's right. Uh, you know, battling Baltimore.
0: Right. We've also talked about the infield and the fact that we need to make some sort of move there. You either upgrade at third and you move uh, everybody else, right, mm-hmm. or you make a move at second base and. I will say that if you want to make a free agent move at second base, and, and you can tell me if I'm crazy here, I think a guy like Colton Wong is fine. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, above 100 weighted runs, create a plus for a while. He's 32, it's plus offense, but I don't know, $7, 8000000 million deal, even if that's two for 15 or one with an option, I think that's a huge upgrade over... Uh, punching McPhase, uh, one vote.
1: I think Colton Wong is a nice update and upgrade is the best way to put it. And again, I don't think it costs you a lot of money um, and it makes a immediate impact and that doesn't mean that you can't play Jorge Mateo. Yeah. The one thing I would actually look at from a Jorge Mateo standpoint is just some maybe platoon splits for him and just seeing like, could Mateo be a platoon infielder going forward as well?
0: Yeah. And, and you know, again depending on what they do with the outfield um, you know, Maybe 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 he's your hey, we're in the middle of the 5th. We need to run. Let's get speed on there, yep. right? And then, you know, he can play the rest of the game. You know, he doesn't hurt you that bad. Hear me out on this one. Yep. I have a specific trade target that I would love sure. to see come to Baltimore. It it would be expensive. Yep. Luis Ariz. Ooh. This is a guy who not a whole lot of pop at yeah. all. Yeah. But gets, gets on, on base. base. Yeah. And, you know, this, this past season is a 131 way to run A Plus. And again, I'm not going to make this a, our trash for their treasure situation. I know that it would be costly, but you look at our minor leagues and, you know, oh, a guy like Westbrook could be part of that package. Right.
1: We agree.
0: And, um, That is somebody I would love to see. And you get a guy like that into the lineup, and suddenly a lot of these questions become easier to answer. You know, can we handle a Mateo being there at the bottom, you know, at at nine? Well, sure, if we've got a guy like Rise in the, you know, in the two hole or something instead of uh, Rugnet or in seven. Do you think the Twins would trade him? I mean, I wouldn't, but if you look at where the Twins are, with their window versus the Orioles, and you look at, you know, you make somebody an offer they can't refuse. Yeah. How much, what, how much is Elias willing to do? What does lift off mean?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think it's interesting. and It's the best way to put it. I'm like, you've got someone that's 25 years old there. I think he would have to open up a lot. Oh, apparently. it'd be
0: expensive. It'd be a lot.
1: So I think you're talking someone like, I think you're talking D.L. Hall. I think you're talking Jordan Westberg. Uh, I think that you're talking Heston Kerstad. Uh, and you might be also throwing Cedric Mullins in.
0: Or, you know, like, what's the guy we got from Lopez Poppage? You know, that that whole class Not of enough. next.
1: Yeah, I think you need to be throwing in, like, three top 100 prospects. Hmm.
0: Well, whatever it costs.
1: AL batting crown?
0: Whatever it costs, that's the guy I want. Yeah.
1: But again, you're absolutely right that the Orioles have a lot of hard decisions ahead of them. Um, They have a lot of um, interesting standpoints of, you know, they've got a lot of money allegedly available, and they've got a lot of prospects that are coming due, um, and they're going to have to make some decisions about who is going to kind of get pushed ahead on this basis, and who's going to basically be, you know, talent that you can kind of grow going forward. Um, I mean, and even the situation of like, you've got folks like Kobe Mayo, Connor Norby, uh, for example, waiting in the wings. Um, there is a lot of interesting talent that is going to come up in 2023 that the Orioles are going to have a hard time balancing their 26 man right roster unless they start trading people away. So I don't think it's, you know, you know, if they make trades, I think it's when they make trades and how big are the trades is the, is the big question in my mind. I think there's gonna be, there's gonna be a
0: lot of interesting trades, I think. I am not one to grab the pitchfork and light the torch. But one thing I will say is that if the Orioles do not go out and make acquisitions... Mm -hmm. Is there a number
1: in your mind, like from a payroll standpoint, that if they don't hit a certain payroll, it won't be enough?
0: Um, No. And I say that because I'm not sure from a business side of the, the standpoint that I'm an informed enough fan to be able to say... It's got to be $135 million. Because I know what my number is. All right, what's your number?
1: My number is they have to spend at least $90 million next year. If they don't spend $90 million, yeah, million, I'm going to be...
0: Yeah, which would be what? A, a $30, $40 million increase? $40 million increase. Yeah. For me, they have to do one of two things, or both. Which is they need to go out and they need to get real honest-to-God ballplayers. Mm-hmm. Right? They need, to, they need to really try. None of this, we'll give you Jay Payton and Derek Lee. Mm-hmm. I'm done with that crap you go get me real ball players to add to this foundation that you've made and start paying the kids absolutely right and there's this whole conversation about well let's start extending adley now mm-hmm. if they do not go out and get somebody they better start locking up some of their own talent yep because if they choose to do neither then it's time to grab the torch
1: agree so I mean, like I said, my number is ninety. I mean, even if you look at the Rays, the Rays had a payroll this year of one hundred and eighteen million.
0: Yeah, the thing is, though, is that I don't know how to measure what's the right money to spend. And I and I will say that I do trust Elias to know the right money to spend. Yeah, and that's why you know I I can't put a line in the sand. But I I, I would be honest with you. I I would hope that they would spend more than
1: that. I would hope so, too, but that's the bare minimum. Okay. And again, we talked about all these free agents that we want in the trades, but there's one thing we didn't talk about, and that is the first obligation coming out of this offseason has to be an 8-10 to year deal with Adley Rutschman and an 8-10 to year deal with Gunnar Henderson.
0: I will say, I mean, yes, I want that. Yes, I want that. I want that. I want that. I want that. But if they go out and spend $130 million on a starter, I will feel more okay with them going to arbitration with those guys feel better but again
1: if you do that and you say Adley Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson are now here for the next 10 years you can plan your entire franchise around them and just say we now know what our financials look like for the next 10 years and again what has Mike Elias said during this whole standpoint we're not building to compete in a small window we're building to create a team that can be competitive every single season that they lock up Adley Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson for 10 years. Brace yourself, but you're looking at a 10 year window where the Orioles could be competitive
0: from your lips to Michael Eyes's
1: ears. Jake, your pants literally just came off. They did.
0: They did indeed. <laughs> All right. Uh, it's lift. It's lift off. It's lift off. <laughs> <laughs> it's lift off. We'll see what that looks like. Uh, it's exciting that we get to care for real about the hot stove season. Do we have to? Oh yeah, we get to, and we haven't gotten, we haven't had that opportunity in a long time. I'm legitimately excited. I think how excited Buster is going to see when the Orioles actually got into my money. I don't want to think about that. <laughs> All right, Scotty, let's let's take a break, and um, as we talk about surprising finishes, we talk about how good it feels to to win. Let's decide who won in Fantasy Boss. Oh, when it comes to kissing, I just gotta keep insisting on the baby. You sure do swing. When it comes to kissing, I just gotta
1: keep insisting on the
0: Scotty, you know what that music means
1: I do In classic fantasy boss territory um, I had a lead slip through my hands once again uh, And Jake English once again uh, Has one fantasy boss
0: You're not going to be named NL Manager of the Year, Scotty
1: <laughs> Absolutely not
0: uh, I will but, say, though... I may check your ears later. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, I, until you arrived this evening uh, to record mm-hmm. this episode, thought that I had lost Fantasy Boss. I had written long, elegant... Long, uh, elegant elec- uh ...odes to your yeah. your victory. And I was told you
1: won Fantasy Boss. And I said, that surprises me. I'm pretty sure I lost Fantasy Boss. And you're like, no, no, no you won. And then I looked at the notes and I said, no, you got this inverse. And you're like... Well, then I guess I won.
0: <laughs> I was told this there would is, be no
1: math. This is classic fantasy boss style of like <laughs> um, little to no knowledge and still managing to pull
0: out victory. It, nobody wants to win this stupid game. Uh, what did except, we, for, except for Derek Arnold. Except for Derek <laughs> Arnold. So what did we even talk this about? This is the Nickelback of segments. <laughs> uh, every time... Okay, we last spoke on September 24th. Yes. And the category we picked was runs, Run differential. Run differential. Yeah, and
1: I said the Orioles were going to have a positive run differential. And you went um, the Debbie Downer route, and you went negative run differential.
0: And again, my memory was flipped. Yes. My memory was flipped. So I was disappointed when I saw that the Orioles scored 52 runs and gave up 70 runs, but I should have been delighted.
1: Once the Orioles lost the game against the Yankees 8 to nothing, I said, eh, we're done. Like, no chance at this point. Like, it's not going to happen. But, uh, yep, yeah, congratulations once again on winning Fantasy Boss.
0: I didn't even need any, you know, bonus balls or whatever this uh, year. And,
1: and honestly, I, I do really appreciate the the candidness uh, that you gave me. Uh, first of all, you protected me from Jabby Burns. <laughs> uh, folks, never, ever, ever enter into a contest with Jabby Burns. Uh, he will stab you on the back. Uh, and second of all, uh, I also want to reach out and say thank you to Alan Smith uh, for picking Gunnar Henderson and uh, also for giving me Adley Brutchman. Oh, and also for giving me Kyle Stowers in the one week. So, Alan Smith, uh, you are entering into my good category, Jamie Burns. Uh, the fact that we had to nullify a fantasy boss because of you is quite the achievement. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That's right.
0: I won fantasy boss. Despite giving up a a faux win, a faux win, a, a faux, faux win. win. Yes. Thank you to everybody who weighs in on Fantasy Boss every week. There are weirdos out there that will pipe up on the Twitters and say, "Hey, this particular game is good or bad for Fantasy yep. Boss." I'm like, "Wow." Yeah.
1: And, and I didn't happen again. The they're
0: just like, "Well, Scott's going to be pretty happy," and I'm like, "Wow, like people actually care about this? Like they remember it apparently more than I do. Absolutely, uh, because I don't remember which side I bet." Yep. So that's it for Fantasy in 2022. Uh we'll have to think of ways to spice it up in 2023 because this the, the points will matter. The points always matter. The points will matter. All right, and with that, let's go ahead. We'll uh we'll step aside and when we come back, it'll be time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. Well, the last good, bad, and the ugly of the 2022 season. Let's get into it. Uh, there is so much good that came out of 2022. There is there is so much for Orioles fans to celebrate, so much to be thankful for. Um, and so if we want to end this season on a positive note, in true I view style, I just want to say how thankful I am, how uh, much I consider myself to be just one of the luckiest fans alive because my team didn't give up the 62nd home run to Aaron Judge.
1: Well, that's because the Orioles pitchers weren't very aggressive against him and they didn't throw him um, meatballs right across the middle of the plate. Uh,
0: what is Evan Meek doing these days? Um, I'm pretty sure he's still going to get baskets from Derek Jeter. It's <laughs> a solid reference. <laughs> Point to Scott. Uh, I love. The fact that we managed to get out of that unscathed. Take that crap to Texas. Uh, and, and look. Super super thrilled. Yeah. I, I got nothing against Judge. He, he all, all things created. He, he seems like a nice guy. He hit a lot of home runs in a clean fashion. It's good for baseball. I just didn't want it to be against us.
1: I am so glad that the Baltimore Orioles, again, did not give up the, the home run but also that Baltimore prevented him from having even more home runs. It's the only <laughs> thing that would have been nicer. have been like, you got stuck at 61, and you're going to be forever enshrined with Roger Maris, so that Roger Maris Jr. can always be like, well, Aaron Judge is not the real home run king.
0: Uh, first of all, I believe you mean create a park.
1: Ah, uh, yes, create a park. And
0: second of all, there would have had to have been an asterisk Absolutely. in the record book. Absolutely.
1: Um, so my good for the week is actually going to go to a player that we were talking about earlier that...
0: Oh, know, have we talked about players today? Yeah, that
1: I, I actually mentioned maybe he'd be on the trade block. And that's D.L. Hall. And I think D.L. Hall deserves a little bit of an accolade for the past, you know, week or so. Um, in the last 14 days when he was pitching, he pitched in four games, 16.62 Ks per nine, 2.08 walks per nine. Good for a zero ERA, a 0.11 FIP, in a 0.45 XFIP. And on the season, D.L. Hall did not have a great ERA, but let's take a look at his FIP numbers for the entire season. 1.65 and an XFIP of 2.84.
0: Who's the idiot saying that he should start in the minors next year?
1: So I mean, you do have some elevated numbers here because, again, he was in a relief appearances. But again, 12.51 Ks per nine for the season, 3.95 walks per nine. So again, I still think he has those control-slash-command issues, and I still think it actually would be good for him to start in the minors and continue to work that out. But I look at those numbers, and I say to myself, someone is going to be super interested in D.L. Hall this offseason and is going to want to trade for him and try to turn him into an ace pitcher. And I think D.L. Hall could be an ace pitcher. I just don't know if the Orioles can wait, is the best way to put it.
0: That is such a weird truth you know what i mean yeah. it's just a weird weird situation yeah uh i'm i'm delighted the, the other thing him being up this year means that he won't be all doughy eyed next year right. right when when it matters when the lights come on uh my bad for this week is going to go to Jorge Mateo uh he said goodbye to the Orioles season with a 70 weighted runs created plus again this is since uh, september 24th And I I know that we don't expect a lot from him offensively, but I would really like to see him in that eighty to eighty-five territory if we're going to handle, you know, less than average with just stellar defense. Again, he's so exciting when when he's when he's on. Um, He just wasn't on enough at the end of the season. Yeah, you know, my bad is going to go to that last
1: half, the last bit of the season where it seemed like the top of the lineup really struggled. I mean, you had Cedric Mullins not doing great. You had Gunnar Henderson not doing great. You know, Adley had some really nice games there. Um, but like Santander kind of kind of dove off a little bit. Ryan Mountcastle um, did okay, but, you know, not great. Um, and it just seemed like the Orioles started to tire out, is the best way to describe it, the top of the order. So that's the kind of stuff that I see. And I say to myself, if they had one more big bat in that lineup to pick them up, it'd be a huge deal. Um, and I think back to that 2014 season with Nelson Cruz, and I'm like, yeah, Nelson Cruz didn't make that team, but he helped pick them up in certain key instances. And I think that's what the Orioles need. They need one other bat that's going to bet, you know, at 120, 130 weight runs greater plus to pull them up a little bit further.
0: That, that's a team that competed. And you can't take that away from them. Yep. They, were, they were in it until September, but everybody had to be yep. at 95%. Yep. And the minute they weren't, it started to fall apart. Correct. Right. And, and they ran out of gas, and you're 100% right. If, if they had one or two more guys to go.
1: I think they only need
0: one more bat, honestly. like
1: I think they're really close. You just need one additional bat up there. I mean, we just saw how much of a difference Adley Rutschman made by coming into the lineup and how much better they got with him being in line-up with that play discipline. I think if they get one more bat in there um, between Adley, between Gunner, between you know Cedric Mullins, I think it makes a huge difference. I think it makes a huge difference. Even shifting Mountcastle down into the sixth spot, huge. I mean, it's going to be a huge huge difference.
0: If the margin of error is greater, mm-hmm. you're going to have a better experience, yeah. period.
1: Yeah, and again, we talked about this entire season of the, of the offense of like ups and downs and heavy deviations. I think one more player helps to eliminate some of that heavy deviation that we saw for the entire
0: season. All right, my ugly is going to go to roster choices for game 162. I, you know, I, I'm not privy to any information. I would much rather have seen Jordan Lyles pitch game 162 than uh, Ballman. I would have preferred to see any of the players I care about uh play rather than than giving you know everybody a, a curtain call. sarah uh, Saren Henry and I went to the uh single admission doubleheader, which was awesome. Great experience. Game one was super fun. Mm-hmm. Um and to be honest with you, you know, anything we got out of game two was a bonus. But then, you know, looking at the lineup, it was like why why am I here?
1: Is this this is the Swan song we're going with?
0: I don't, I don't need to see Tyler Never, Nevin ever again, or Jesus Aguilar, and I, I get the fact that you can't catch uh, Adley on both ends of a double header, but having sure. DH, come on, man, yeah, this is not what we came out to see. Yeah.
1: yeah, I agree with that aspect. I know a few people called that out of being like, this is not what you would expect for the final game of the season. Like, yes, you've got to be, you know, careful with your players and not overuse them to get them injured, but at the same time, it's just like. There was there's a better way to frame that that lineup.
0: That was a player managers activity. Yeah, that was about the guys in the clubhouse and not about the people in the stands. And for a season that didn't matter anymore, you got to give the nod to the fans.
1: And and my ugly just comes back to you know these last two weeks. Um, you could just tell that the season caught up to them. And again, it was disappointing because they just didn't play. I would even say the same spirit of baseball that you were expecting this to play. There were several games that we talked about through this entire game where this season where the Orioles were just never quite out of it, and they always kind of rallied back and kind of saw that flicker, that flame kind of get snuffed out in the last two weeks when they kind of knew, we're not going to get to the playoffs. Um, and it was disappointing, and it was a little ugly to not see that fight back is the best way to put it. Um, And that's my only ugly for the past, you know, for the the last two weeks of the Orioles season, where I just would have loved to see one more come from behind victories. One more walk off is the best way to put it. And we didn't get to see that. That's a little disappointing to me.
0: All right. I feel that. I feel that. Well, that's good, bad and the ugly for 2022. Uh, We don't do this during the off season. Uh, Again, you can look forward to uh, us going to monthly episodes uh in the off season now that it's there if if something creeps up you know hot stove happens we'll yeah. uh we'll be back
1: we'll uh we'll uh, fire up the headphones
0: that's right we'll fire up the headphones and we'll uh we'll be back but what we what we're gonna do now is we're gonna come back we're gonna blow the save and we're gonna get out of here All right, as this is the last episode of the regular season for 2022, I think we should probably acknowledge the fact that uh, Scott and I realize that we are perhaps not everybody's cup of tea and that we are at best described as a acquired taste. And so with that, I just want to thank everybody for listening to this program, for interacting with us the way that you do on Twitter, for coming to say hi at the ballpark. Um, It is truly... Uh, a privilege and an honor to to be able to hang out with so many great Orioles fans who are passionate about this team um, and who have been so kind enough to uh, to say hi along the way. So we'll see you next month. Thanks for listening, and that that is our show. Remember, you can find this in our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. dot com.
1: Bird's View is available for download wherever day you should get your podcast. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Google Podcast, Spotify, and many others. Please remember to rate and review the show. We
0: appreciate the feedback and it encourages other people to listen for the first time. Come and get social with us. You can email us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can find us all over social media. We're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, we're on Snapchat, we're on the ticks and the talks. But the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter, where we tweet at View B A L. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I will bid you all a fun, adieu. adieu. Good night, Baltimore.
1: Be safe out there. And let's go O's. You're
0: still here?